Blog Talk Radio. Radio Show. NASCA is the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Victoria Kelly, and I'm your host for this evening, and my co-host is Dr. Nancy, and we are on scan number 3278. Um, We have a single purpose here at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional trauma, and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One is educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing children's sexual abuse. Presenting sex showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. And two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Again, we are scan number 3278. And you hear my dog in the background barking. Um, and I'm waiting for my dog kids to show up. They're going to fix something in my house. So if it gets noisy, that's what's going on. But if you'd like to be a part of the battle this evening, please call 646-595-2118. And my co-host, Dr. Nance, you on the back line and ask if you'd like to ask any questions or have anything to say. And we would love to have you join us and support our guests. And uh, we don't have a guest this evening, but we... Uh, are uh, working on pulling together topics. Uh, Dr. Nancy, you there? Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight. We don't have a, a special guest for tonight, but we do have a special uh, partner of ours who has joined. Uh, he's a NASCA member uh, and has guests in the past. So I, I was happy to see Mr. Bob show up. Uh, sorry, Bob, show up because, um, you know, I know a lot of times he has some great things to talk about. So soon we'll be hearing from him as he, again, is, is also a survivor of different forms of abuse and always brings great uh, information. I wanted to uh, talk about, you know, some of the common feelings associated with survivors of abuse. And in, in this particular case, I'm going to talk about common feelings associated with survivors of sexual abuse. Um, And so one of the things that, you know, I do a a lot of 
recovery support for sexual abuse survivors counseling. And um, and some of the questions that a lot of people have the level of abuse is why did this happen to me? You know, they, they're trying to process, like, uh, is something wrong with me? Did I do something wrong? Um, is it my fault? You know, um, they feel like their power was taken away. Um, you know, sexual violence, really, it can happen to anyone, regardless of your age, your race, your gender, uh, your religion. Um, and one in every one in three women um and I'm going to say this, one in three women and one in six men are sexually assaulted at some point in their lifetime. I'm sorry, I needed to share that statistic because we don't realize, um, and I think we are starting, we realize it, us survivors realize it, but I don't think the world or just, you know, people who haven't experienced it realize how high those numbers are and how, and unfortunately how common sexual abuses for men and women, for for young, for boys and for girls. Um, And so another question that a lot of people ask is, uh, when will I be okay, you know? Uh, When will this be over? When will I stop feeling this sad? Or when will I stop feeling so sad? When will I stop feeling this way? And, um, you know, it's it's really hard to understand what someone who has been through that feels. Um, you know, it's, it's never fair, and uh, but at the end of the day, we survive, and so um, you know we're strong and we are courageous for surviving, and so definitely um, you know sharing our our healing and our strength with others is very 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 important. Um, you know, there are people that can help 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 you get through it. You know, there's there's support groups, NASA is a great organization where you can come and take a stand in your healing. You know, talking about it can be very healing. It's a form of power, like taking back your power, being able to speak on a platform that allows you to speak on such a large scale, on a platform where so many people are able to tune in. Um and definitely, um, you know, empowering others and to let them know that they're not alone in this um, area of uh, of surviving. We do have another person that's going to be calling in, uh, Christina. She's a sexual abuse survivor. She also, you know, has written a book, and she shares her story openly. So it's great to have um, a few people uh, who are strong survivors and that can help other people get some type of idea of how to survive, you know. Um, so some people ask, how do I get over this? You know, how do I get over this? Uh, that's a question that I hear people ask a lot of times. And, you know, no one was really taught how to heal from trauma, you know. Trauma is very scary. It's extremely scary. Um, and there's really no simple steps to healing. You know, healing is just something that you you start working on it starts to happen. But the most important tool in healing is talking about it. And that's why I said that, you know, being on this show and being able to talk about the um, the process of recovery or talk about what happened. Um, I remember when I first came on this show, um, and I've been on other shows before, but this was the first one that I went deep into details of what, when, who, when, where, what. And I, it was a battle because um, I was 
crying. I was crying. People who know me and they're like, well, please, you, you should you should be fine by now. But when I first had to do it, I was scared out of my wits. I was frightened. Why was I frightened? I was terrified because I had been taught to keep a secret. I've been taught to keep a secret since I was five years old. And when you get groomed like that and trained like that, and then you do it your whole life after 40-some-odd years, opening your mouth, it's like, I can't believe I just did that. And so it felt like I ran a marathon. I remember my heart was pacing. I was hyperventilating. I was boo-hoo-hooing crying. I was crying ugly. It wasn't like I was like, <laughs> I know I was like, <laughs> to the point I had to mute myself. And they were like, are you okay? Do you need a minute? Like, it was like a whole spiritual battle. Uh, so can talk about it, and I don't feel that way. But it took me building up that muscle and getting to that place where I was able to open my mouth and not feel scared that my abuser was going to hear me and I violated the oath of not sharing that secret. And I was the worst person ever because I violated that oath, even though that person violated me and I really had no business to be protecting that person. But because I was groomed in that manner, um, and I was, you know, I was taught that that's how you're supposed to do it. Um, I definitely had a big struggle with uh, with sharing and going into that. I do see that uh, Christina, Miss Christina has joined us. So I'm just going to put in her information. And at some point, I'm going to unmute the mics and we're going to have a chitty chat. Uh, the next question that, um, you know, uh, I'm sorry, when people ask, you know, how do I get over this? Uh, you know, healing is a lifetime journey. And so we have to be gentle with ourselves. We have to remember that healing is a lifetime journey. Don't feel guilty because you're not healing as fast as other people are healing or the way that other people expect you to heal. Healing is a lifetime journey. Be kind to yourself. Be patient with yourself, okay? And then I've had a lot of people say, no one understands. And I remember when I was five years old and I went through my abuse, and I remember when I was about nine years old, I saw my first counselor. And uh, and I, I did not respect counselors. I went through quite a few counselors because once I realized that they were just uh, hated in school, they were just, uh, some of them, their parents were psychologists, so then they went into the field. Some of them, they just liked it, so they went into it because they were just curious. Like, they want to understand the mind of the criminal, or they want to understand the mind of this or that. But one of the things, when I would interview a counselor, I would always ask them, have you been through this? Have you been through that? If the answer was no, then they they were not validated. Like, they, they lost brownie points with me. Uh, why was that? Because I needed to see someone who looked like me, sounded like me, went through something similar than what I was dealing with and could tell me that they actually survived it. And I didn't have an example of that around me. I didn't have anybody around me who had been through similar circumstances that I had been through um, and or the level of abuse by a parent uh, that I had experienced and or that really could tell me that they survived because I, I just didn't have that. So at this point, um, I felt alone. So I find a lot of my clients, when I'm doing counseling, they tell me, they say, no one understands me, No, you know, but I remind them, you're not alone. You know, 
the comments are very, those, those feelings are very common for survivors. They feel very alone because most likely when you had all your friends around you, you were not able to have a conversation that said, hey, guess what? Uh, my father or my mother sexually abused me. And, uh, you know, so it's a very lonely place because now people are coming forward and talking about it and creating a safe space where people can start to share and not feel like they have to suffer in silence and jump off a cliff because they're struggling with these feelings by themselves. But now other survivors are coming forward and telling this and creates a support system for other people to feel empowered, to be able to voice, you know, their story. And, and win the battle of the mind of feeling alone, okay? Uh, so sexual assault is a very common experience for many people. And I'm going to share another statistic. One in three women will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime, and one in six men will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime, which is horrible. Again, uh, the fact that these numbers are so high. You know, it's like, okay, but it's been high. It's just that nobody used to talk about it. And now we're talking about it. Um, and I'm almost done, y'all. But, um, okay, um, and some people get to the point where they start to say it, it's just, it wasn't that big of a deal, you know. Uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was a big deal. What happened was very traumatic, and it does have some effect. But a lot of times people will say that just to – strengthen themselves through it because maybe a family member, a parent didn't believe them or maybe other family members were like, get down the hush. Those are family secrets. You don't tell what happens in this house. It stays in this house. And so you, it wasn't that big of a deal, you know, um, but you don't realize the extent of how, um, you know, that feeling of, okay, maybe it wasn't that big of a deal ha- could have an effect on you. And that's why people really, you know, just live day to day pretending and ignoring um, that it didn't happen, but really that's not helpful to the healing uh, process. Uh, and then some people will say, I feel like I'm going crazy. And, you know, um, it's, very, it's a very difficult situation to deal with as a survivor. Um, and many Survivors have that feeling. That's why a lot of people go into depression and, um, you know, people go into, oh, I deal with schizophrenia and bipolar and da-da-da. You're trying to balance your emotions. There's a lot going on. And unprocessed trauma, it can make the body very, very sick. And that's why it's important for us to talk about it and to get the right help. And other people go into a place where they get into shock and then they start to become very numb. And that's a coping mechanism. That was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. I, I right. just want to mention something, too, about, about the statistics. You know, you said that, you know, they're very, very high. There's a lot of people that were sexually abused. The um, sad part about it, though, is um, most um, sexual uh, assaults are not reported. So they're even higher than that. Right. We don't really have an accurate amount. And, and that's what kind of... You know, I go to AA and meet a lot of, a lot of people, men and women, that um, have been sexually abused that never told anybody. And uh, mm-hmm. when they hear me talking about it, you know, they say, boy, can I talk to you? Because I keep going out and using and think that's one reason because I have nobody to talk to about it, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I actually feel honored that somebody is willing to, you know, share that. And when I you mentioned um, feeling alone, when I started speaking out, 
I was one of the first people back in uh, 85 because um, at that time there were professionals that were um, speaking out about abuse and, um, but they were, you know, observing survivors and then interpreting it. And usually it was pretty uh, clinical, you know, and uh, didn't really, there was no voice of survivors. And so I was one of the first people that started speaking out and it was pretty scary, you know, but, but when I started getting groups like Cape Act Tonight and some other support groups um, of survivors, um, then I realized I wasn't alone. And when I read my first poem at a Take Back the Night and a bunch of people came up to me, that's when I realized that continue to speak out because, I, you know, I keep hearing, I thought I was alone. I thought I was alone. And it's still, even though all the people that are speaking out, I still got people coming up to me and saying, people aren't talking about this. And, and it kind of floors you because it seems like everybody's talking about it. <laughs> But they're not talking directly to that person, like you said, you know, in like a therapy situation or something with somebody who has been through it. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes you know, people talk about um, their friends will make them feel bad after a while. So you do need to get help and support from a counselor or, you know, because your friends, they're not, that, that's not their job, you know. No, no, they're not equipped. And, and a lot of friends can get overwhelmed because, you know, Someone might just be leaning on them, you know. And I was in a relationship, and I told my therapist, well, he told me just he can't keep hearing about this too much. But she says, well, different people can be different things for you, you know. And I guess I never really thought that. I just kind of depended on one person, you know. And, uh, you know, to try to figure out, you know, um, there's a lot of really heavy stuff that we go through when we're telling our stories. And, uh to not like, I don't know, I don't like the word dump on it, but it's pretty much on somebody that really can't handle it, that hasn't been, you know, educated. That's why I do tell people that it's important to get counseling of some sorts, you know. Um, somebody go to the minister, some go therapy, you know. Yeah. Um, I and, wanted uh, to, um, the other thing I want um, to bring up is one quick thing. Uh, maybe you, because I haven't heard a whole lot about it, but um, you mentioned that um, that when uh, sexual assault happens and stuff and, and your feelings and everything, but um, like in my life, there were multiple sexual assaults. I mean, from many different people. And I really thought it was about me, you know, because it kept happening to me for different people. So I thought there was something wrong with me that, you know, and then to get blamed um, by other people saying, oh, you're a victim, you're acting like a victim. Uh, can you comment on any of that? I know it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's horrible to to feel that way. Um, I just wanna wanna say, um, okay, so I wanted Bob to get a chance to share. Um, I know that Christina's here as well, Mrs. Christina. She'll share in a minute as well. So Bob, we just unmuted your mic, um, and we just want to join you in the conversation because we're you know we're having a conversation. Yeah, and. Um... Thank you, ladies. It's, uh, it's how can I put it? I feel like I'm the thorn amongst the roses. <laughs> what a beautiful way to meet beautiful ladies. <laughs> um, well, I, I would like to share something that's really present for me at the moment, which will help in my own healing, and then answer um, um, a question that uh, you 
that you posed earlier about how did I heal. So just bear with me. This is just a, a little story of what, what's been happening for me um, over the last week. Um, and uh, two or three weeks ago, I went and had my sort of annual blood test thing done, you know, and urine and all that sort of stuff, just to make sure that uh, the old machinery is working right. And a couple of results came back that pointed to... Um, bowel cancer and or prostate cancer uh, oh no no and I, I found this out when I went to see my GP and she's she's panicking and bouncing off the walls oh dear oh dear oh dear oh dear and like her fear was infectious you know um, so I've got all these sort of fears going on at that time because both my mum and dad died of cancer but um it's funny, I, I walked away and I just remembered that I totally trust in my own process. Uh, what am I afraid of? And so I did my own research and then had an ultrasound and it showed that my kidneys are great, my bladder's great, my prostate's a little bit swollen, but you know, it's all, it's, it's all, it's all good. So I just got to wait for the, um, uh, to have a colonoscopy um, and have a look at that one. But it's, it just it brought me back to the question that I always ask myself in situations like this is, okay, I have created this event in my life. What is the lesson I need to learn from it? And it's like when I, when I was suffering from depression and I realized that my medications were killing me and that I was going to die and that pain of depression, I asked myself the same question. And so the lesson I've learned from this recent um, scary event, if you like, is that um, I am the only expert on my life. My physical, spiritual, emotional well-being is my responsibility. And so what can I do about it? So I've been on the net and researched stuff. I've gone back to my chlorine dioxide um, treatment program which is absolutely brilliant and I'm, I no longer have any fear there's a little bit of concern but I just know in my heart of hearts that um, there, you know there are natural treatments out there which just leads me back to my fundamental belief that nature is nurture right so now I'd like to go and answer the question that you posed Thanks for listening, because just by sharing that, it uh, helps me um, release, you know, the, the feelings about it. So that's, thank you for your, your attention. You posed a question, how did you heal? Now, for me, um, the statement that um, healing is a lifetime pro, uh, process, I don't actually agree with that. I think, for me, anyway, uh, it's been my experience that, my first years, you know, the first seven or ten years, I was living in fight or flight mode because of my violent background. Um, and I, I lived under that modus operandi up until I had my first panic attack. You know, I, was, I, I wasn't master of my life. So all that period was I was in victim mode. When I started to heal the wounds of my childhood and actually succeeded, I went from victim mode to survivor mode because you know, now I'm surviving I'm not living on uh, fight or flight at the moment uh, anymore I've reclaimed my belief in me 
and I put my trust in um, God and nature, nurture, creation, whatever you want to call it. And so now, for me, I'm in. I've moved from survivor mode into thriving mode because I have taken full responsibility for this life that I do create. Now, for me and my work on depression, um, the wounds of childhood for me um, are just the, the main ingredient that causes depression in later life. That's just, you know, where I'm coming from. And if you like statistics, in 2019, the World, World Health Organization uh, published their latest findings, and they reckon there are about something like 280 million people globally suffering from depression and like like everything in um, consciousness the evolution of consciousness is exponential so with all this recent covidiacy crap that's gone on over the last three years it, I get a feeling that that number is probably up around 500 million people that are suffering from depression and depression leads to suicide which is why my work on eradicating suicide it, you know I just I love it. I love it. It really, really fires me up. And my my solution to that is that suicide prevention for me is too little, too late. What needs to happen is a process of re-education, especially in the so-called, you know, experts field. And I'll, I'll I'll make a comment about that. But as soon as somebody presents a presents as um, suffering from depression, they ought to be offered organic, holistic modalities for healing rather than be thrown, have pills thrown at them. Because all pills do, and in my experience, you know, antidepressants, they detach me from my feelings. And that was a, what I was afraid of. I was afraid of the power of my feelings. But by going back to that moment of panic in 1984 and realizing that the, the power of the feelings I was having was just simply a measure of how powerful I am. So by embracing those feelings and releasing all the trapped feelings from the trauma of my childhood, um, I totally reestablished my belief in myself and my connection to source. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing journey, and the answer is so simple. And I love what you said about, for me, I am the only expert on my life. And, you know, uh, I've got a series, I do a series of videos on YouTube about, I believe that the only experts on depression or any other so-called mental illness, and there's no such thing, um, yeah, they are the experts, those ordinary folk that have faced their depression, found a way through. They are the real experts. And what I love to see, it's happening a lot in Australia, is there is a strong growing movement of how uh, lived experience is gaining more credibility and more validity and I'm actually a part of a panel that's putting together recommendations for healing 
um, to government under the you know, umbrella of uh, mental health, suicide prevention, and all that sort of stuff, because we are the only experts. You know, if everybody's unique and everybody's got their own individual story, and so this statement for me is really, really true. It's like everybody holds a piece of the puzzle, and simply by sharing our stories, we help to heal each other. And that's how simple the solution is. Life is not supposed to be complicated. Look at dolphins. <laughs> that's how we're supposed to live, leaping and bouncing around and giggling and being, being fully in the joy of knowing who I am or who you are. So I think I've said enough now, but thank you for, for allowing me to share. That was good. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I want to also open up the mic for um, Christina. Mrs. Christina, if you could get a chance to join us, it would be great to hear from you on uh, what you your thoughts are, experience with recovery. Go ahead. Please join us. Yes. Hello, everyone. I was just like just sitting back, just listening to, to everyone, and especially what um, Mr. Bob said, like how the antidepressants were like kind of detaching him from his feelings, and how you know he was afraid. He was afraid of the power of his feelings. I, if I said that wrong, I do apologize. Um, and I think for me in my journey, uh, just just briefly. The sexual abuse and molestation started for me um, beginning at age three, you know, by a very, very close family member, Um, and then age four, and then age five, and then it just continued, and, like, I always felt like I was this this target, you know, Um, but after releasing, well, in the process of releasing my book uh, in March of last year, it's like God had allowed me to just begin to feel all these different feelings and things like that. And I think that for so long I was suppressing things because I didn't want to feel my feelings. I, I had a fear of feeling those those feelings all over again. And it, it, it really helped me on this journey of healing because just like Dr. Nancy said earlier, that healing is a lifelong process. You know, so that's that's one of the things that I'm learning, and I'm learning that it's okay to be to be mad. You know, I was also looking up the different. Um, let me pull up this here. I think it was like the different levels of of healing, um, the recovery process from trauma, being you know denial, nothing happened, bargaining, something happened, but you know you're trying to bargain with or, or trying to think yourself out of the situation in a sense. Um, one of the other steps is anger. Something happened and I'm angry about it. It's okay to be angry. Then sadness, something happened and it cost me a lot. And then acceptance being something happened and I've healed from it. So I think I'm kind of like in the past year, I've been between anger, sadness, and acceptance. And what I'm learning is that, again, it's okay to be angry. And me as being a believer, you know, loving the Lord and, you know, going by scriptures about, you know, be angry and not sin. Like, so so you're telling me God said that I could be angry? 
you know, versus growing up and being like, no, you better not. Don't question God. Don't do this. Don't do that. And But now I'm finally doing that. I'm finally saying, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? You know, but then being able to look over my life and to see the things that he's allowed me to, to participate in, to be able to help other people through their journey and to be okay to say, you know what, that happened. Now I can I can go through it. I can go through this process and I can bring other people with me. And I think it's also important in the healing journey is, you know, we have to be mindful of who we're sharing certain things with because everyone can't, we can't trust everyone with our trauma. <laughs> everyone can't carry our trauma, you know, or, you know, you'll talk to somebody or you pouring your heart out. Like, you know, I think everyone has said so, talked so far, you know, about the counselors and, and quote unquote mental health, like the mental health therapists and things as such. Um, but everyone isn't equipped to carry, every, carry, carry, carry others' trauma. So we do have to be very, very careful because sometimes we can say something to someone and then they could trigger them or they could come back and, and use what we said to, to trigger us. Um, I feel like I'm dancing around the question. I hope I'm making sense. But that's these are the things that's, that's really been helping me is acknowledging those things. And um, the other day I found myself getting angry because, I mean, a lot of relatives, uh, sexually abused me, you know, and to see them being embraced by other people and like, oh, hey, you know, how you doing? And giving them hugs and things like that. And I'm like, you know what? I They're worthy of love too, but I'm okay with where I'm at with just saying this is how I feel, but I don't like feeling this way. And I'm able to have someone that I can talk to about exactly what it is that I'm feeling about this certain individual without me taking my anger out on the people that showing them love because they may not know exactly what this person did to me or, or to the extent of what they did to me, you know? Um, so I don't know. I don't know, Dr. Nancy, did I, did I answer the question or did you want me to say more or? No, you answered the question. I mean, you said exactly, you know what it is. So I'm going to have um, Bob comment and then you could come back. So, um, okay. go ahead, Bob, please join us. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, coffee, anyone? The cat was just boiled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, one of the biggest sicknesses in Western society is, like, codependency. Uh, for me, um, this movement of political correctness is the absolute epitome of codependent behavior and the absolute antithesis of free speech. For me, um, I believe that speaking, speaking, your, speaking my truth is the pathway to healing. Speaking your truth is the pathway to healing. Now, when I share my truth, and I don't blame anybody, I just share my truth because I believe I follow the only law that there is God's law and that's do no harm so with that in mind that's how I share my truth all I do is share what is happening for me and so this idea that oh I can't I can't share what's in my heart because somebody's going to get triggered by it but from where I'm coming from all I'm doing is sharing data sharing my truth 
And by sharing my truth, I am healing. You know, I'm releasing, releasing, releasing. Now, whoever hears that, whoever gets that data that I am sharing, it is their choice how they respond to the data I have shared. It is not my response. I'm not. I'm not responsible for the feelings that they uh, choose to have to the data that I have shared. And so it took me a long, long time. And I started about 1992. I started deprogramming myself from codependent behavior. And this little phrase was like the, the signpost, the guiding light on my journey to to yeah get rid of codependent behavior and it was a simple little phrase unsolicited advice is abuse and for me unsolicited advice immediately denies the sovereignty of whoever is supposed to be the recipient of that advice now I believe we're all sovereign unique and equal and in my own journey when I'm struggling the most in my life, that's when I learn the most about me and how I can handle my life. But that's when all the rescuers gather around and they see me struggling and I get comments like, oh, I know what you need to do, Bob, you need to do. And I say, whoa, 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 brother. Um, um, I'm here to live my life my way, not your way. And if you want to be a true friend, just be around when I put my hand up and ask for help. And I think that's a really important thing, especially in the counseling work I do. I never, never, never give advice because I can't, you know. I can only speak for me. My job is to simply provide an, arm, uh, an environment of acceptance and validation of the reality of the person that's, that's being counseled, you know. So, yeah, and right. I, I just, I wish, you know, I wish you could all come and spend some time with me, you know, and I'll take you around the islands here and we can talk about um, leading from the heart, living from the heart, not the mind, you know, yeah. Anyway, coffee's ready, folks. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> but you know what, <laughs> Bob, what you said was so true. Um, everybody has different styles of counseling. You're going to meet some people that they don't need you to try to fix it. They don't need you to try to fix it. Some people just really, truly need to be heard. And it's okay to share what you've been through. And, um, and you need to meet your client where they are. Some people honestly do not need you to try to always fix something. They really just need to be heard and supported. And if you share what, what helps you to overcome, what has helped you, you know, when you, when you do peer support, um, you learn that, you know, your job is to share your lived experience and not counsel or tell people what to do, not not counsel, but not tell people what to do and how to do it. Um, I but can't in fix people, anybody. I can't no. fix anything. That's their job. Right. Okay. Um, hey. Miss <laughs> Christina, I'll let you go ahead and, and join. I'll sit back again. Um, I thought that was beautiful <laughs> what Bob was saying, and I and I'll take some coffee <laughs> um, because it's just like I think for so many years I would 
feel responsible for other people's feelings. And I think that is deeply rooted in the abuse, you know, because it's like, okay, I don't want to make them angry. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to offend. But like you said, you know, we speak, when we speak about what's going on with us, you know, we're talking about that trauma. We're we're talking it out of our mind. You know, it, it just it's an empowering feeling, and I think I shared um, probably before on this um, on this chat that my husband is the first man that I, I gave my body to. You know, I freely gave my body to, and then and now he really hears it because I'm. You know, I can talk to him about everything, you know, everything and anything. And that's definitely helping me on this this healing journey um, to be able to be authentically me and even preparing me to have other conversations with other individuals. And, and then once I did release my book, um, finding out things ha- that happened to my closest relatives, like my, and I'll just say my sisters, you know, and I'm like, here, here it is, we are growing up together we're always together, and then somehow, some way, you know, things happen to them. But then I immediately blame myself for it because I'm like, I'm there, you know, I'm the big sister, and, you know, I wish these things never happened, and then now I'm feeling all these feelings all over again because I hadn't really fully processed what it was that I was going through. And my therapist told me last week, she said, the issue that you're having is you, you feel responsible for people that you're not, you don't, you can't control anyone, you know, you're not responsible for them or for their actions or whatever they do, you know, you can only be in control of yourself. So I love that, and I definitely want to start living from my heart, like Bob said, versus living from my mind, and that's that's my comment. I don't know if you have wanted me to share um a little bit more about my story, Dr. Nancy, but I'm I'm just enjoying the conversation because I needed it. I I really needed this conversation. I needed to hear this. So thank you for inviting me. Definitely um would love to hear a little bit more about your story. Bob, did you want to reply to that? Because you, you shared about the heart and I thought that was very powerful too. Yeah, well what for me, this may sound weird, but it's simple, you know. For me, I drive my life under two principles, the KISS principle, keep it simple, sovereign. I know I've changed it because I have realized and noticed in my life that the words I choose to use actually create my reality. So I place my words with surgical precision. So the first principle, keep it simple, sovereign. And the second principle is the SUE principle, something I coined about 15 years ago, S-U-E. We're all sovereign, unique, and equal, and everything else flows from that. And that's why I say, you know, everybody holds a piece of the puzzle, and all we've got to do is sit around the campfire and share our stories from, from our heart, and we help to heal each other. Now, this is, this is what people think is a bit woo-woo, a bit weird. I now live in a feeling universe and not a thinking universe. I've learned how to silence my mind. Um, what, do I, what do I mean about living in a feeling universe? Well, there was that French philosopher, Descartes, that said, I think, therefore, I am. And that seems to be a, like a global mantra in civilization. But for me, I feel, therefore, I am. 
I experience this life through my senses, through my feelings. Like I feel the warmth of the sun on my skin. I smell the sweet tang of the rotting mangoes. I hear the sound of the kookaburras as they sing in a new day. So I experience this life through my feelings. So for me, it is, I feel, therefore I am. Not, I think, therefore I am. And that's where um, society has been misled for uh, well over a hundred years anyway. Probably thousands of years. But And living in art space, is my life is so simple. And if ever my life gets complicated, I, I know that somehow my mind has slipped back into the driving seat. So I just reach in, grab it by the scruff of the neck, throw it in the trunk and put my heart back in the driving seat and my life is simple again. And what do I mean by that? I just listen to my body. My body always knows what it needs. My body is always sending me messages. All I have to do is listen and obey. So my life now is when my body's tired, we sleep. And when my body's awake, we play. End of story. That's my life. And if I can get there, anybody can. Oh, that was good coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Miss Christina. Yes, more good coffee. (laughs) Um, So just, I guess, briefly. So, again, it was a very close family member that started with me at age three, and um, I remember telling my mom, like, you know, I'm, I'm burning down there, and um, so she ended up taking me in to get examined, but it's still, like, to be honest, the other day I started thinking about this, is that I want to find out exactly what the doctor had told my mom, so that's something that's been lingering in the back of my mind, and I want to sit down and have a conversation with her, but I also have to be mindful that I'm I'm doing this for me as part of my journey versus me like trying to not try how can I say it? Um I feel but I feel like my thoughts are getting in the way of me wanting to protect her by me not asking that question, but it's something that's been like brewing in my in my mind and in my heart to just say like what exactly did they find? Because I mean I still have scars there. And here it is, that was over 30 years ago. So then um, age four, because, I mean, we grew up, we grew up in the projects. You know, um, my mom didn't have a lot. She was a teenage parent of two girls, you know, um, single parent at that. And we didn't live in the best of neighborhoods. And I think a lot of things my mom went through, it just kind of trickled down to myself and my sisters. And I really don't want that to continue, like some of us say, like breaking generational curses, and that's something that I I pray and I hope never happens to um, children that I may have. Um, So age four, we were heading home. You know, my mom had a male friend, and she didn't think anything of it, and um, she let him sleep in the bed. It was all, all, all of us sleeping in the bed together, all four of us, and when my mom woke up, he was between my legs, doing things to me that he should be doing to my mother. And then right before he was going to insert himself, my mom woke up. Um, She kept a machete (laughs) underneath her bed, and she kept a machete in the car. So she grabbed the machete, and she went to, like, swing it at him. 
Um, I think she cut him, like, maybe, like, below his eye, but that's another story. At the time, we didn't have a phone, a house phone or a cell phone or anything like that. So my mom, um, when she did swing at him to, to strike him with the machete, he jumped up, he ran out the house, and then my mom ran, got my sister and I up. We went to our car. We had a car, and then we went to, like, the nearest payphone so she could call the police. And then after that, we ended up moving in with some relatives, and I had a female cousin who was probably about age 13, and I was five, and she began to do things to me, and she introduced me to pornography. Um, And from that point, I had developed an addiction to that. And um, then I also started getting high around that age as well. I started using um, aerosol air freshener. And the craziest thing about it that I think about today is, like, perhaps I was subconsciously trying to escape what my cousin was doing to me. And um, so I try to encourage parents, like, hey, if, if you don't just put up the aerosol, you know, you don't want children using that because you just, you never know. But that's something that I use to try to numb the pain at age five. And I would get high with that from age five until age 11. So about six years, like nobody knew that I had an addiction to this, this freaking aerosol air freshener. And, um, from that, my mom had married my stepdad when I was seven, and then he had two cousins that would spend the night with us. And the older cousin, well, the older brother of the two, he would molest me, and that went on for a couple of years. And I really think that he was grooming me because when I became older, so from age seven to about age 13, that's when he began to try to pursue a relationship with me. And then um, age 10, I went to visit a church with one of our neighbors, and going somewhere that you think, oh, this is supposed to be safe, um, I was I was violated, sexually violated on the church bus going back home. And then after that, it was other cousins, female cousins, male cousins. And then age 13, I met this guy. He was, I want to say he was 19 at the time, and I was 13. He was a, an in-law of one of my aunts. And he began to pursue me. He wanted to pursue a relationship with me. I thought this was the thing to do because I'm like, okay, well, hey, he want to be with me, so that's what we're going to do. Um, but even at that time, I kind of I questioned my sexuality because of the molestation um, by, by female relatives and the pornography and different things like that. Um, so anyway, we called ourselves in a relationship. He asked me to write him because I met him on a family trip. My aunt was stationed in a different country, so whenever she would come over to the States, and at the time I was living in in Florida, I'm in Chicago now, but when I was living in Florida, my aunt came down to visit her family, like down in Florida, and so her in-laws lived in a different state, including him, so they came down to visit her, and we all decided to go on like a family trip to one of the theme parks, and that's where we met and he wanted to he wanted to keep in contact with me, and that's what we did. Um, he would tell me all of his sexual fantasies and different things like that, and I succumbed to him. I just you know like I I enjoyed the attention that I received from him. And one particular evening, my mom had found my purse <laughs> with a letter addressed to him, and that letter. Uh oh, that that particular letter 
that was addressed to him was very provocative in nature, very sexual in nature. All the things that we would discuss, I wrote that in the letter to send to him. So it could have been a, you know, God-saving grace that my mom found that letter. So she read the letter. Um, she called his, she called, called him, uh, spoke with him, spoke with his mom, his dad, and was like questioning them. And it was like, hey, did you have sex with my daughter? He denied it. And when he did that, and he also referred to me as being crazy, like she was delusional. I don't know what she's talking about. He was just saying all kinds of crazy stuff about me that was very hurtful. And I took that as a way to say, you know what, I'm going to go find me a boyfriend. If he don't want to be my boyfriend, I'm going to find one. And that led me down a spiral of a sexual addiction. And um, age 14, I decided I wanted to go out. I snuck out the house to try to find a boyfriend, and that went from me having sex with one person to multiple men at night. And I would do that. I did that for probably about a good six months. And um, it's just when I was out there, I was trying to look for all these different things that I thought that I was missing. You know, um, man, I, I could have died out there, but I didn't, I didn't care at that point. And that's one of the things, too, of like uh, that can be one of the symptoms of being sexually molested or sexually abused at a young age. And um, I just oh, think I hope people can hear me. Okay. So we hear you. Okay, cool. <laughs> Sorry about that. So um, once that happened, you know, I felt I felt invincible. I felt like nothing could touch me. I could just do whatever I thought I was big and bad enough to do. But in the same sense, I was living a double life because here it is. I'm walking the streets at night from 11 p.m. until about 5 a.m. in the morning. I had to get back in at 5 o'clock in the morning so that I can get ready for school. Like, I never slept. And like I said, I could have died out there, but I didn't care. You know, I was just, I was feeding this, this, burning desire in me that wanted to feel loved and needed. And then also, I think I didn't share this before, but I wanted to have a baby. I wanted to have a baby so bad so I would have someone to love me and I can love that baby. <laughs> but that wasn't the way to do it. Um, then to fast forward to age 15. Age 15 is when I surrendered my life to the Lord. Um, at that point, I realized that, you know, the things that I was doing, it wasn't just hurting my parents, and I wasn't just being disobedient to my parents, but I felt like I was hurting and breaking God's heart, and I didn't want to do that anymore. So I surrendered my life to the Lord. I, um, you know, just the things that I started to do after that point, it began to hurt me because, again, I'm like I'm breaking God's heart by doing all these different things. And then as an adult, the sexual trauma continued. You know, I was with a, a high school friend one day, and, and he sexually violated me. And then um, once I found out, I found out that he was married because his wife was going through his phone, and she'd seen, like, some messages between he and I, and she threatened to kill me, and, you know, and I was trying to explain to her what happened. You know, like, he, he raped me. He didn't, it wasn't something that I just went over there and just, like, hey, let's have sex. He never told me that he was married. We just, we were high school friends. So I thought that he would share something like that with me. Um, and then I got into a relationship with a guy who told me that 
he said, oh, you know, God told me that you're my wife. And I thought, okay, well, you know, that's what the word says, you know. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And, like, who am I to question God? Even though I knew in my heart that this possibly couldn't have been the person for me. But, again, I allowed so much trauma to transform my life in ways that I wanted it to be convenient for other people to continue to to do things to me at my cost of sanity, um, at my cost of purity, at my cost of whatever it is. I wanted to make things convenient for everyone else and becoming a people pleaser and stuff like that, and that's also a symptom of that. So when we recognize those things, like, you know what, I'm trying to please this, like, what what in me feels like I'm not enough, just me? You know, I don't have to give you my body to show you that I'm enough, you know? <laughs> so eventually um, God had gotten me out of that relationship because it, it was it, we were only in a relationship for, like, a couple of months, but I felt like it was several years, and I felt like I could only, the only way I could get out of that relationship is if I were to die, and I don't believe that was my time. You know, God was like, no, this ain't it, you know, so I thank God that I didn't die in that situation of, um, he he was constantly like, um, the, the sexual, the sexual, uh, how can I say it, the sexual abuse, the emotional abuse, you know, the spiritual abuse, he was constantly using God's word against me and, and things like that, and it was just, it was very, very painful. Um, but the moment that I opened up my mouth and started to share what was going on between he and I, that's when I gained the strength to finally leave. And I couldn't just leave by myself. I had to, you know, I had to, there were things, there were different things I had to do to separate myself from him, and that's having accountability partners. And that that alone in your healing journey and healing process is very, very helpful when you have people that can hold you accountable. You know, I think like Bob, Bob also said, I'm sorry, I keep calling him Bob, but I think like Bob had said that, you know, just be there when I raise my hand and say that I need help. And I'm grateful for those people that God has placed in my life. And um, with my husband, you know, shared, you know, his affections toward me or his desire to marry me. I'm just like, I was running at first. Still at, at times, I think unhealed areas of trauma causes me to sometimes run from him today. And that's why I'm in the groups that I'm in and, and able to share my story. And, um, and that's why I'm in therapy right now, because what those people in my past did to me has nothing to do with my husband. And he's even apologized to me. He's like, I apologize for it, for everything anyone has ever done to you. And I'm just like, oh, okay, you know. But that's my story in a snippet. And I just, you know, I appreciate platforms like this um, to listen to other stories and to be able to share my story. And we come together because we can really heal together and grow together. So that's it, Dr. Nancy. <laughs> Thank you for that, Mrs. Christina. You are uh, a true survivor. Um, go ahead, Bob. I know you've been waiting patiently. And um, anything you would like to add or share? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like to say that um, this is um, a beautiful um, conversation, and there's no such thing as coincidence. Um, it's synchronicity rocks. Uh, but what what's prompt what was prompted for me from Christine's last sharing is 
Um, something that called the wounds and lessons of childhood. Now, um, as a child, the lessons I learned from mum was, mum is always beating me, therefore she does not love me. Um, therefore I'm unlovable and it's all my fault. And that the world is a dangerous place because I was always getting hit. And then the, uh, the lesson I learned from dad was, um, dad never spends any time with me, therefore he does not love me, therefore I'm unlovable, it's all my fault. Uh, so that just says, like, the child that's been abused doesn't stop loving its abusers, it stops loving itself. And that is the big wound. That is, uh, how can I put it, the, the goal in recovery for me is to get to that state where I love me uh, and I'm content with me um, and that's that's really really hard to get to it takes a, a long time because you know my formative years were all based around the the premise that I was unlovable and so I spent all of my childhood trying to be the perfect child um, you know trying to be the poster child to take attention away from my dysfunctional family but that's not my job. It was, wasn't my job to fix my family. It was, it's only my job to fix me. So now, um, what I would like to say to Christina is, and this is this just comes from a place of love, um, what I said earlier about every event that I create in my life holds a lesson. Um, so, um, and what is the lesson that I need to learn? And so, uh, my feeling is on what Christina has shared, darling, is you you finally learn a lesson. Um, you, um, you created all these horrific events in your life and they kept on going and going and going and beating themselves because you were operating on, under the old um, uh, modus operandi. And my mum did the same thing. Um, she wanted other people to love her so she could feel that you know, she was lovable, but she did that by trade, trading sex for love. And um, yeah, and that's a, a pathway to ruination. Uh, for me, it's, um, it's all about loving myself. And not in a narcissistic way, is, um, you know, if I, if I don't love myself, how can I really love another person? But I believe in the core of every beautiful human being, and we're all beautiful, there is this place of unconditional love for, for everyone. And I, I, I see that as my ultimate goal, to get to that state of unconditional love for everyone. So good on you, Christina. You're doing a great job. <laughs> and you like my coffee. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, <laughs> Christina. Yes, thank you, guys. You're welcome. Would you like to say anything else about that? I'm just, oh, you want to say? Yeah. Well, my husband, he's been listening. Can he say something? He sure can. Yep, this is Mr. Jones. Okay. This has been very therapeutic for my wife. And I thank you guys, not just from the bottom, not from the top, 
with all my heart. Thank you, guys. And she was amazing. Beautiful. Good on you, mate. Thank you for your support. We appreciate you sharing. Yes. Anybody else? I mean, Go ahead, Miss Christina. Do you want to say something about what you have? Hold on. He has more to say. Oh no, 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 <laughs> no. We, we were just, we were just saying thank you, and um, you know, there, there's things I think in this process of of loving myself or learning to love myself the right way is just being okay with not being okay all the time, and and just um, acknowledging what I'm feeling in the moment, but also seeing that, you know, what the feeling, some feelings are fleeting, you know, so it doesn't mean that, you know, if I have a bad day, then I'm going to have a bad life. So those are some, some key points that I'm learning about myself and about life in general. Well, this is Victoria. I'm back on. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I like, uh, talk about, um, Feelings and stuff. Yeah. Um, I had learned that my feelings are not necessarily reality, too. You know, sometimes I get really, really scared and I feel a danger all around me and stuff. And it's like, I almost got to stop myself and say, you know, um, I'm in a safe place. <laughs> and that can be hard to reassure myself that hey, you know, things are going to be okay. Are you here? That was, yes, I'm here. Yeah, Christina, um, sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm sad, but I'm always content, you know? If I was happy all the time, how would I know? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, need, we need the duality to appreciate each, um, each extent of the spectrum, don't we? You know? <laughs> That's pretty wow. deep, eh? <laughs> wow. Yes, we do. Wow. I thought that was um, it was great that we were able to share that. Um, and again, this just reinforces the fact that this community is so important and so needed because we may, some people may experience feeling alone, like they're going through this alone, and that's why they go into deep depression, isolation, and unfortunately suicide. And so the purpose of uh, creating these spaces is to create community and just to remind ourselves that we're not alone, you know, and we can't get through this. And we're not alone. Anybody else would like to say anything else? Please join. Yeah, I want to add on to that, that um, there are so many, so, so much more now than there ever was before, you know, with uh um, the kind of groups there are, and we could do Zoom and all the other things, you know. And COVID made us think outside the box. And uh, to reach out, if anybody's out struggling, um, please reach out to somebody. Um, go on the NASCA website. Um, there's a place for um, contact us. There's a place for uh, the ambassadors. And uh, I'm the Minis- I'm Victoria, and I'm the Minnesota ambassador. And uh, you don't have to be in Minnesota to call me. Uh, I'm available, and there's many other people available. A lot of the people that are on there are also hosts, have been guests, and uh, are really dedicated to helping survivors. Um, 
you know, we were once there too. We were once feeling alone and feeling isolated or felt like we had an overwhelming amount of problems that, that could never get any better. I really believe that I was just going to be a survivor and that's all I was going to be, just surviving, surviving, surviving. And I am a thriver now. Um, I'm actually living a life that I could have never imagined, ever imagined. And it's possible for every single person to um, to get beyond that, the way I felt like I was an inspiration and that there was no way out, you know. And the way that, that I feel that I got out of that was reaching out, and that takes a lot of courage, a lot of strength. Um, it's not a weakness. And uh, that there's people out there that do want to help, you know. But um, you don't have to tell your story to anybody that you don't feel safe with. And we also encourage you very much to get some kind of support. And there are many different ways of support. There's many different ways of healing, like Dr. Nancy said in the beginning, that, um, you know, there are many different ways. There's, you know, there, there's no amount of time that, you you know, you have to work. This is about a journey, not a destination. And uh, people asked me if I'm healed, and they said I'll be healing till my last breath. <laughs> um, because I want to continue to keep changing and growing and learning and helping others. And, you know, that's my love. That's my process. And enjoying life, which I never did before. I just made it through, you know. And uh, there, there's really a big difference of going out and finding things that you enjoy and uh, really living your life to your fullest because you've always deserved that. And just the fact that you survived is enough, you know, um, because there's a lot of people that didn't. And whoever's listening, we're glad that you're still here um, to keep continuing this, this uh, journey. And we hope that we could be a part of your journey. NASCA, as the NASCA family, we welcome you. Thank you for that, um, Ms. Victoria. Um, I'm also mm-hmm. one of the ambassadors of the Georgia area. And, um, you know, you can always reach out. We're on the website. Um, there's a lot of resources on the website. If you don't want to reach out to us, there's also resources for other ways to reach out and to find help and support. Um so just know that you're not alone. Uh, and then you can always, you're always welcome to join us on these talk shows and share or just listen. And, you know, a lot of times, <clears throat> just like Bob said earlier, we're experts. We're all doctors on this panel. Even though we may not all have a doctorate, we are doctors uh, and experts in our own recovery and in our own experience. And so people who have not experienced what we have experienced, I may not be able to support you the way that we may be able to support you. So just know that, um, you know, like, again, you, you know, it's okay if you're just surviving right now, but you want to get to a place of not just surviving, but also thriving. Bob, would you like to share anything else? Uh, yeah, I just unmute myself. Yeah, for me, um, I love what Victoria said that she's thriving. Um, yeah, and I believe, you know, my life is just absolutely bloody amazing. Um, and I consider my healing journey as about 
99% complete. I've still got little areas where I don't love myself enough. But so if I look at my body um, and its entirety and in all dimensions, I am now in the process of taking my healing, my healed body and building it up, you know, exercising the muscles, getting my body um, in all arenas to be as fit and as vibrant as I possibly can. And so, you know, spiritually, physically, emotionally, um, and even intellectually. Um, but um, a phrase uh, I came across years and years ago, and it's probably the best thing that Eckhart Tolle has ever said, is totally let go of the need to understand anything. And that was so liberating for me because with my amazing intellect, I was trying to think think of the answers, think of the answers, think of the answers, until I realized that the mind is always looking for answers, but the heart already knows. So there was nothing outside of me that could heal me. It, I found all my own solutions, that's a Bob word, solutions, within my own heart. And so now my heart is my only compass and my inner tuition is my only guide. Ta-da! And coffee, of course. <laughs> Go ahead, Christina. If you'd like to make a comment, we're almost getting to that ending of the show. We just want to make sure y'all get a chance to, to share. Christina, I, just, I wanted to, oh, I'm sorry, Dr. Nancy. I, I also was kind of piggyback off of what Victoria said about life. You know, it's, she said it's it's not a destination, <laughs> you know. So well in life thing is not a destination, like so just keep going and, and definitely, definitely want to embrace the thriving piece of life. Like it it we don't have to we don't have to, you know, continue on in those those I think they call it in recovery, uh the stinking thinking because that's not gonna get us anywhere. So this, this has been very encouraging. Um, um, in 1985, well, in 2000, I decided to just self-publish just some of my writings. So and kind of poetry, prose, whatever. And uh, I changed my name because my abuser was still out there and I was speaking. So I changed my name, found it in a name book. And Victoria means victorious. Ruth was my middle name, which means spirit, and Kelly means warrior. So my name is Victorious Spirit Warrior. Five when I started speaking under that name, I didn't feel like that, but I do today. And I look back, you know, and I have uh, 37 years of sobriety, which I didn't think I could get any at all. And uh, I really didn't think there was hope for me. Um, so it's you know, yeah, you can go a long way, but a lot of times it takes someone else to believe in you as well, you know. And uh, I can't say enough for Niska. I met uh, Bill over 14 years ago, and uh, I wouldn't tell my story at all about child abuse. I'm telling about um, being a battered woman, sexual assault victim, and being used in system prostitution. And all those, I didn't, my 
biological father called 21 and my sex abuse started infancy. And, uh, you know, I just, well, I went to a psych ward. Well, I went to a lot, but the one time I went in, and I hadn't even gotten admitted, and I was suicidal. And I sat down with a psychiatrist to decide whether he was going to let me in or not. And I kind of told a little bit about how he kept coming after me and stuff. Well, I didn't know at the time he had APD, and so I couldn't remember what he had done be- before to me, you know. And the uh, psychiatrist says to me, well, he must have enjoyed it or he wouldn't have stayed so long and he wouldn't have kept going back. And I hadn't even been admitted yet. I felt like just flying out of there, you know. And I did, I don't know what kept me in that chair. But, um, so I kept, you know, real close mouth about everything. And, and so I was on my space, that's what date me. <laughs> I belonged to a um, group for um, incest survivors. And that's where I really started getting a lot of the support. And uh, just happened to uh, go on Google or whatever the heck it was at the time looking up, you know, adult survivors of child abuse of some sorts. And uh, I don't even know what words I put in. But uh, NASCA popped up and Bill's name popped up. And I called him and started talking to him and uh, did one show on the radio, you know, talked to him for quite a while and participated in some of the shows. And I became a guest. And uh, i tell you what, telling my story, my shame just started melting away. And uh, and that's really how I got involved in NASCA. But I couldn't believe the amount of shame that I had, that I didn't know I had, you know, until, uh, until I started realizing it wasn't my fault. And, uh, you know, there's no magic age. Like, you know, I guess people just thought you hit the magic age of 15 and all this knowledge falls on you. <laughs> and uh, even though I ended up uh, bringing him to court and everything, I didn't touch or nothing, but brought him to court for an incident that happened when I was 17 where my other witness, um, he was only for therapy, which is basically a bunch of abusers sitting around discussing what they did to people and uh, sexual for sexual uh, predators. And... Uh, they called me up after three years and told me graduated. Like, I don't know what they thought I was going to throw a party or something. I don't know. But anyway, I said, oh, my God. And then I was really afraid because, it was, you know, in their mind, it sounded like they thought he was cured. I don't know. But anyway, um, I was scared to death of him until I found out. I went on Facebook one day. My uncle wrote down that he had passed away. And I went on Facebook and wrote, you know, normally you can't shut me up or I have plenty to say whatever I says, but I can't even put into work the amount of freedom I feel today knowing that he's gone, you know. And uh, my cousin unfriended me. <laughs> but, you know, I just, I had I felt I had to put it out there. But I'm, you know, I'm so grateful that I've come so far. But without other people helping me and supporting me, I know I wouldn't be where I am. And that has been a huge part of it. So, and uh, Bill Murray is the founder of NASCA and uh, recovering right now from surgery. So, um, so I'll send him some positive energy. Yes, we appreciate um, Bill. He really has 
really worked really hard to continue to keep this platform available for us to come together. And so we do send him our love as he is recovering Mm -hmm. and our well wishes and prayers. Mm -hmm. Um, You all, you know, we're getting to the ending of that time. I don't know if you guys have any, any closing positive words to leave behind. So we would love to hear from you. To, uh, and Victoria, thank you for sharing your testimony every time. Um, very powerful. Um, and thank you for, for well, being so transparent. I, I like ending journey. with one thing, and this is the, the NASCA prayer that we say. It's please grant me the serenity to forgive myself because I always try my best. And the wisdom to know that I am a good person with a kind heart. And I always like to end with that. So thanks, Perfect. everybody. And thank you, well, Dr. Nancy, like Bob, and... What would like to share in closing? Uh, uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, what I would like to share in, uh, in closing is just, it's um, a bit of NASCA information. I would like to please encourage anybody that's listening or anybody that gets finds NASCA to don't, for, don't forget the three weekly Zoom meetings because that's a beautiful platform to get eyeball to eyeball and get some uh, real healing happening. And it's free and it's easy. You know, you don't even have to get out of bed. So please, please, please come along to the three, uh, three times a week NASCA Zoom meetings and the details are on the NASCA website page. Thank you. Right. And that's, that's NASCA, N-A-A-S-C-A dot org is our website. And there, we've got like 42 programs on there. And uh, like Dr. Nancy said, even if you just want information um, or you want to share information with somebody that cares about you and you want them to understand things a little bit better or anybody that's interested in these topics, uh, there's, there's just so much information on there. And then also, so we are on scan number Three two seven eight. So there's three thousand two hundred and seventy-eight episodes that are all archived, and you can go back and listen to those. And we also are on Facebook, and have a closed Facebook group where um, you can either go on and read what other people have written. Um, it's an adult platform, so you don't have to put up warning things because this is an adult platform. And then um, that's just for adult survivors of child abuse. And then there's an open one as well. And uh, anyone can join that. So uh, we hope that you're getting the support you need. And if you need more support, uh, more individual support, please contact one of us. And we will do the best that we can. And if we can't answer your questions, um, I will say, I don't know everything. Matter of fact, I don't know a lot. But I'm willing to go and help you find out. And uh, because people help me, I feel that uh, I want to give back. And uh, um, is it uh, Christina? Oh, is that right? Y- yes, yes. Christina? Yeah. Um, did um, Dr. Nancy say that you wrote a book? You want to yes, you want to share with um, us that information? We got a little bit of time left. Um, sure. Thank you. Um, so my book yeah. is titled Suppressed Wounds. Redemption and Recovery. So again, suppress rooms, redemption and recovery. And uh, Victoria's, I like I write poetry as well. 
So this was like a spinoff of one of the poetry pieces I wrote titled Suppressed Wounds. And I think that I found a lot of healing through writing that piece, Suppressed Wounds, because I'm talking about like um, the the things that we suppress and um, how we can overcome these things and being able to talk to that little girl or little boy that's inside of all of us and to say that it's okay to come out to play <laughs> because it's a new day. So that's available on Amazon. Again, that's Suppressed Wounds, Redemption and Recovery. Thank you. Hey, while we're promoting You also self- want to tell us uh, your full self- name so that in case find it that way? Yes. Um, Christina Jones, and that's Christina spelled with a K, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A. Last name is Jones. And again, the book is Suppressed Wounds, Redemption, and Recovery. And it's a it's a spinoff of my spoken word piece, Suppressed Wounds. Awesome. Thank you so very much. Right. Really appreciate it. Great, You're welcome. Right. Great. Thank you, guys. A quick closing comment. Um, yeah, my books uh, are available um, on the Internet. You just have to sh- search for The Gift of Depression, Space Bob Eden. They're available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, a lot of others. Um, so I've got um, e-book, paperback, audio books, um, and my YouTube channel has got loads of free videos on um, self-help, personal growth, how I got to where I am today. Um, yeah, so it's just a bit of shameless self-promotion. So it's the gift of depression, Bob Eden, and you'll find all my works. Thank you very much for allowing me to share. Yeah. And copy. Thank you. And then I want to say, too, that I have a book in the works. I have a... Uh, Two women's studies professors that are writing it because there's no way I could do it. <laughs> and uh, but it's my story told to them, and uh, they got all my journals. I I started trying to read some of my journals, but I got into some of my alters that were writing because um, I had 31 personalities and they were writing these journals. And I started reading it, and I got so down in that dark, deep pit of de- depression that one of the alters was in that um, I almost did get back out. And uh, they're willing to take the journals and look at it um, from, you know, not in the perspective like I would <laughs> be in there. And uh, anyway, um, it's in the hands of an editor, and they've already got a publisher that um, has accepted it. So we're getting really close for that to be coming out. So, and that's... Um, that's kind of a, like, um, Christina, you were saying, it's a spinoff of my writings. And that book was entitled Journey Within, Survivor's Story. Okay, well, so. I'm picked up, y'all. I'm going to squeeze in my, my book last. Um, oh, I wrote a book. <laughs> we got two minutes. I'm going to squeeze it in there real quick, y'all. So my book is called My Costa Rican Hummingbird Sings, Breaking the Bondage and Answering the Call. I wrote that book in 2017. It was focused on mental health. Uh, and suicide prevention and, um, you know, recovering from addictions and recovering from child abuse and sexual abuse and just severe trauma and talking about uh, some of the things that helped me along my journey. And so I shared that in my in my book. 
I had the book on Amazon. Now it's down for a little bit. I may try to split the book into, because the book is 300 and some odd pages. It's really thick. Um, so I may break it up into like five books. Uh, to make it make them into smaller books, so that's something I'm working on. But if people Google, they will be able to find it. Uh, and thank you all for sharing as well. Appreciate it. So powerful. You want to Dr. Nancy? Would you give your full name so that people can um, know that, yep. and then also if they a way to contact you? Yes. Yeah, so um, if people Google Nancy N A N C Y B for Vanessa and then Brown, they'll be able to find me. Uh, or even I, I come up under Dr. Nancy V. Brown or Dr. Nancy V. Brown Willis. So, I mean, once you put Nancy V. Brown, you're going to find me because I'm, I've done a lot of work in the hair loss industry for many years. So, I, have, I mean, you know, you'll be able to find me. My Instagram is Nancy V. Brown, and uh, I have a few other Instagrams. I have Nancy V. Brown Ministries, Brave Girls Rise Up. Nancy V. Brown speaks, so I mean, we'll be able to. Okay, we got 60 seconds, so thank you, everybody, for all your participation, and uh, we had a really good show, and we invite you all to come back, be on the panel, or be a guest, and have a wonderful evening, or morning, or wherever you're at. <laughs> Thanks, Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.